Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on January 9th, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to support the ministries of St. Mark's, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Jan Rood with the Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel for this baptism of our Lord Sunday is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Voltaire once said, In the beginning, God created humans in God's image, and ever since, we have been trying to repay the favor. What the French author was revealing, of course, is our tendency to define God on our own terms and to make God look and act very much like us. Clear examples of this are found so often in literature, but also in the ways that God and Jesus have been portrayed in art throughout the centuries. Many of us who grew up with images like this of a fair-skinned, almost blonde-haired Jesus thought nothing of it, I'm sure, at the time. But clearly those images aligned Jesus with our own white dominant culture and our own core values. The same was true in the Middle Ages, when the dominant church in each region produced images like this of Jesus that made him look like a member of their own priesthood. And then there is this earlier image of Jesus, which comes from the time when Emperor Constantine had adopted Christianity as the mainstream religion of the empire. With his armor and sword, Jesus is barely distinguishable from a soldier of the Roman army which was at the time conquering vast regions of the world. No wonder Voltaire said that we are constantly trying to create God in our image, especially when it aligns God with our own human endeavors and with our own ways of distinguishing ourselves from other people. But the season of Epiphany, which began last Thursday, lets Jesus be the one to define himself on his own terms and in his own way. It begins in our gospel story today, which according to Luke was Jesus' first public appearance. It's set up with the high expectations of John, 
who says that he is not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet when he comes. But what does this all-powerful Jesus do? Remarkably, he stands in line at the Jordan River with all of the other masses of people who are waiting to be baptized. According to Christian historian John Dominic Crossan, Jesus' baptism was an acute embarrassment, he says, for the early church because it did not fit the triumphalist messianic image the church hoped to portray, especially under Constantine's rule. Why would the Son of God place himself under the tutelage of a rabble-rouser like John the Baptist? Why would a supposedly sinless Messiah need a baptism of repentance? Did Jesus really wish to identify himself with the folks who streamed into the wilderness to listen to John? Weren't those the same folks that John called a brood of vipers? Weren't they desperate, broken, tainted, sinful people? Unbelievable as it seems, Jesus' first public act was an act of radical and humble solidarity with all of them. In other words, his first step was a step into the muddy waters of baptism with the diverse people of his time. He was not defined by any one of them, nor by any of us today. But through his actions that day, Jesus defined himself by saying, I am one with all of you. We belong together. We share a common life as human beings born into this world of beauty and terror. In recent reflections on this text, a modern reader said, the baptism story recorded in the gospel speaks to a question that we all need to be asking in these difficult and divisive times. How can we live together well? How can we belong together well, she asks. What must we do to embrace the truly common life as human beings coexisting on this struggling planet? It is not easy, of course. We all know that from experience. And we all know what it is like to stand over against each other rather than to stand with each other in the troubled waters of life. But in that too, Jesus does not leave us alone. John makes that clear when he uses an image which may sound frightening or even threatening to many people. Speaking about Jesus' coming, John says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Over the years, most readers of that declaration have imposed their own rigid theology onto those words making Jesus look like every judgmental human being who divides up people in the human family into categories of grain to be saved and chaff to be condemned or burned. In the history of interpretation on this text, the default reading across the centuries is just that Jesus, with his own winnowing fork, is coming to separate out the good people who will go to heaven from the bad people who will go to hell. But let's pause for a moment and take note of the implications of that interpretation. 
If this is what John means, then we have to say that the primary mission of Jesus is really to divide us as a human family. Now, if you put the whole history of interpretation aside on this one, and anything else that you may have been taught or thought about this metaphor over the years, and ask, does that sound true to me? I wonder if you would come to the same conclusion that I do. It helps, really, to come back to the stories about Jesus that we hear now during Epiphany, and again, to let him be the one to reveal his identity and his mission to us. If Jesus is really the great divider, then we have to ask if that fits the story of someone who stands in line to be baptized with the masses at the Jordan. If he is here to separate us, does that fit the stories that we will hear in the coming weeks of Epiphany? Stories of the joyful abundance that Jesus brought to the wedding feast at Cana, or his announcement in his home synagogue that his mission was to let the oppressed go free. Does it fit his exhortation that we'll hear in a few weeks to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us, to bless even those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us? For me, the answer is clearly no. If anything, the Jesus we meet in Epiphany is the one who has dedicated his whole life to removing, breaking down those barriers that divide us and drawing us all into the wide embrace of God's love and justice and peace. So what might John be saying when he talks about Jesus using a winnowing fork to clear the threshing floor? Put within the context of what Jesus himself says and does, I hear John prophesying that Jesus will separate out the essence of who we are as human beings created in the image of God from the sin that builds up around that, walls between us, and that shrouds, even sometimes hides that image of God deep within. In this way of hearing then, the grain is that essence of God that is in human beings, both individually and collectively. It is the pure love of God within us that is open and unselfish. It's the spirit of unity with other human beings that inspires us to wade into the waters of life with them. And the chaff, then, is every form of sin that grows around that pure grain, sometimes making it almost invisible. The chaff, then, is the, the closed-mindedness and selfishness and hatred and arrogance and intolerance and self-righteousness and greed that divide us as humans, set us against each other in painful and destructive ways. With all of that in mind, I come back to those very important questions posed by that modern reader of this gospel story. How can we live well together? How can we belong well together? What must we do to embrace a truly common life as human beings coexisting on this struggling planet? The answer for me is inseparable from God's work 
of separating the grain from the chaff in every one of our lives and in every circle of relationship. It's not something we can ever do on our own. And that is painfully obvious in all of the conflict and division that persists in our families, our communities, our nation, and certainly in our world. What we can do is let ourselves be tossed into the air, exposed to the winds of the Spirit, and shaken loose time and time again from the thoughts and behaviors that set us over against others in any way or shape or form. Where I grew up in Madagascar, I never saw a real winnowing fork, but I have so many memories of watching women winnow rice by tossing it into the wind and then letting the grains fall back into their baskets. And often, as you see here, it was in a place where those pure grains then could be gathered and then prepared as nourishment for an entire family. So as I go on my way this week, I carry that image of God within me. God is not only a winnower, but as a nourisher, a provider. And what else would God do for all of God's beloved children? What else would we ever expect from the God who created us, who formed us, and who says to us still, you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. And what else would we ever expect from the one who wades into the waters of not only this global pandemic with us, but into our family conflicts, our community struggles, our divisive politics, our imperfect institutions, our sparks of real progress, our joyous gatherings, and our hope-filled endeavors to say again and again, I am one with you, and we belong together. Thanks be to God. Amen.